This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And you're recording there also on Zoom? Okay, amazing. So, welcome everybody to class number four of Journey to Greatness. I just want to reiterate again that um, if you haven't yet signed up to our WhatsApp group on NASANow.com, you should. If you are one of those people who don't have WhatsApp, then there's also an email group out there. Um, and those of you who did sign up, welcome, welcome to our new little club. All right, so Journey to Greatness, number four. So I want to share with you tonight actually four ideas, four concepts that I really think, honestly, we could probably take each one and talk for hours, but we're going to try to spend maybe six to seven minutes on each one, move to the next one, and then we'll, we'll schmooze it out and we'll see what everybody, you know, sort of comes up with. So the first idea that he talks about, again, we're doing Chavis HaTalmidim, is the concept of reframing in your mind um, certain things that you have in your life. And I think to a very large degree depending on where you grew up or how you grew up or the Beis Yaakov or yeshiva system that you went to, there are various maybe ways that we were you know, inculcated as children as to our achrayas, our obligation towards various things in our life, including Yiddishkeit. So what he talks about is that if a person is wise, he will be mechanech as children, and we said that means ourselves, right? We'll train ourselves to view things in our lives rather than being obligations, as being opportunities, okay? So the first concept that we want to talk about is reframing obligations as opportunities. And if you view Yiddishkeit as being restrictive, that there's a God up there who hates you, and he just has all these rules because he's, he's just crazy and he's out to get you, and it's just a matter of time before he smites you down and makes your life miserable and punishes you for everything— then everything that you go through in, in, in life, and specifically when it comes to Yiddishkeit, is going to be very, it's going to be torture. I have to daven. I have to keep Shabbos. I can't be on my phone. I'm not allowed to talk to boys. I, everything's like I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to, or I have to, I have to. If you view Yiddishkeit like that, then it becomes one big burden. But if you shift your focus and you realize that, no, Hashem is kal kulei taif. He is all good. And through being good, everything he gives you in your life is good. If you just ascribe to that one concept, it will shift your perspective to looking at mitzvahs, looking out for things, minhagim. It will just totally change your perspective. I was just talking to somebody about a certain relationship that they were in. Let's call it a non-shidduch shidduch situation. Okay? And um, it was getting very complicated. And I told the person, I said, you need to understand that because my first name is Rabbi and because of my upbringing, which is to the right, and because of my hashkafa, which is to the right, I'm happy to guide you and, and provide you any advice that I can, but the way you're going about everything here is, is very different than my whole hashkafa. Like, I just have to be very clear. And then at a certain point, this person, who again is not in the Shidduch world, they're not remotely in the Shidduch world, they, they turned to me and they said, but you realize like how complicated it is? Like, she's no longer my girlfriend, she's now an acquaintance, and she's a friend who's a girl, and he was like going through this whole thing. And I said like, listen, again, I'm just going to reiterate, okay? I'm not here to like tell you halacha and Ebenezer and go through all those, you know, simanim with you. But I just want to tell you that, you know, I think you can appreciate the beauty of halacha there's a certain beauty here that, like, you just take a step back, you realize you don't have so many complications. Our shidduch system is not perfect, but, like, 
<laughs> you don't have all these complications. You don't have friends that are, you know, girls and boys. You don't have all these things. It's like, if you look at things in a certain rigidness, this is an obligation, I have to, I can't, it puts things in a certain heaviness. But if you change your perspective and you realize that these are actually opportunities, then it does change the way that you view things. And it makes it happy. It makes it fun. It makes it exciting. Now, I remember when I was younger, um, not too many years ago, but a series of years ago, um, it was always my, my goal sort of to become a CPA. And I speak about this, you know, openly that I, I do work, um, and right, you have a job. And and I remember when I there's there's different parts to the CPA exam, and the way that it works is to, to becoming a CPA, you need like the education, and there's a whole series of things you need to do. And in order to sit for the exam, they sort of have to give you like it's called an NTS, a notice to schedule. And when you get that NTS, it's like. Mazel tov. you're fit, we believe that you fit the criteria, you've gone through the education, yada yada, you are able to sit for the exam. And I remember after like getting that first NTS, I was like, wow, like, what a schuss. Like I have the schuss now to kill myself. <laughs> like to not sleep, to not eat, to like literally bury my head in books that are totally boring and to set out along this because it was a goal. And when that goal became like, it became a schuss. It wasn't something that I was like forced to do. And I remember the days I was recently talking to my wife about it, that I would literally be, be sitting at a red light and I had an iPad and it had like the, I was sitting there remembering the 47 steps of amortizing a bond, which even just saying the word amortizing a bond is not exciting, but you have to remember those steps, right? And there's like a whole mnemonic to, to like get down to the deep details of it. And I was so excited that I knew the 47 steps of amortizing a bond. And I could do it with a pen and paper, and I don't even need a computer to do the work for me, which it does now in about nine seconds, and I can't anymore amortize them on. The point is, is that that opportunity to do something, when you don't view it as an obligation, if I told you right now, I am forcing you to study for a CPA exam, one exam out of the four, I guarantee you, 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 would, you, would, you would go crazy. You'd go crazy. You'd go nuts. Who wants to do that? When you view it as an opportunity, no, this is a stepping stone in my life. It's a, towards a bigger goal. There's a bigger picture. It really does change your perspective. And I think that in, in many things in our life that we have, whether it's dominating Shemana Esrei, if you were able to dominate Shemana Esrei once a year, right? If you viewed it like that, you could dominate Shemana Esrei, but only once a year. I think most people be like, whoa, like an opportunity to stand right in front of Hashem, like, Melech, Malchei, Amlachem. If like Yom Kippur came around once every 50 years, every Yavu was, right? You're lucky if you lived to see Yom Kippur. And on that day, like, all your chatam were absolved and, like, the world is starting afresh. You'd be like, well, this is crazy. Like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Because we view it as an opportunity because it's so rare. Unfortunately, many of us take many of the things that we have in our life either for granted or we view those things as being obligatory. I have to, I have to. And when it's so heavy, so then it carries with it a certain, a certain weight. I remember talking to a bachar who was in a yeshiva that had a policy. The policy was that if you're in the dormitory, you're required, obviously, to go to Minyan every day. And the yeshiva's policy was that you're allowed to miss twice a week. They don't check on you on Sunday. Because Sunday's like, guys are coming back. and whatever. They, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those five days, you're allowed to miss twice. If you miss three times, then they kick you out of the dorm for a week. Because you're not, like, keeping up to standard. So this guy told me that on Friday mornings, the yeshiva Kamat never had a minion. Because the guys who made it to Thursday, Friday was like, 
oh, I don't have to go today. Okay. Like the entire dorm is just sleeping in. And he said that the, the fact that the yeshiva put it into this light, there wasn't this geschmack to daven. It wasn't like nothing was talked about with davening. There was no like, I'm standing and I, nothing. It was just simply, you need to. These are the rules posted. These guys miss shachris once. If you miss it again, then you're out. They were like, okay, great. I made it through Thursday, Friday. Now I can finally sleep in. And it was like a whole group of guys that they would stay up late and they would have chalent and sit around. It didn't make a difference what time they got on Friday because the yeshiva can't kick them out of the dorm because they never broke that rule. It's so sad. It's so sad when everything in our life becomes rules. And if we view it a little bit differently, again, it takes on a little bit of a beauty. I was upstate um, and I met a, a certain guy who, he's not Jewish, and he was, he was like puttering around where I was, whatever, upstate, and I was talking to him, and I, I asked him, like, you know, to share his life story. Very fascinated by people's life story. I think that everyone has, like, their journeys, and, you know, you may have picked that up through some of my classes. Like, you know, you just moves out with people about what they've gone through. And this guy told me that he was in the construction industry, and when he was around 45 years old, he had an opportunity to sell his company. He didn't tell me how much money, but he said it was enough money for him to sell his company and to retire. He sold it. And he turned to his wife, he's 45 years old, totally not Jewish guy. Um, and he said to his wife, look, what do, we, what do we do now? We have enough money to just retire. And he said that he moved with his family to the Florida Keys. Like as far south as you could possibly go, he went there and he moved there. And he said, he was like, this is amazing. Like I'm living, I'm living on vacation. Like this is like amazing. And we're schmoozing about it. And I said, but one second, you now live here. You know, it was like upstate. Um, and he said, actually, I don't even live here. I really live in New England. And he's like, yeah, the winters are cold. And he was telling me. So I said, I understand something. What happened to living in the Florida Keys? Like, did you blow your money? Did you invest it in Bitcoin or something? Like, like what happened? So he said, what happened was that he, he was living there. And he said, when you think about it, if, if most people were given the opportunity to retire, they would grab it in a second. He said, and I got that opportunity. I was 45 years old. And I got the opportunity. I could literally retire and live on a beach. He said, and after a few months, he realized that it was becoming like his chayvus to like take care of his boat, to take his boat out in the water, to catch a fish. Like things that are just so trivial and so silly. For him, he said, my life had zero meaning. It had no challenge. It had no purpose. I was like walking around just with absolutely nothing to do. And I was like, that's fascinating because there's so many people who they would, they would, how many people would want to go to the Florida Keys and just like sit there for a week? Anybody. I'm saying it's a vacation that you can only dream of. You have no obligation for the rest of your life. But to him, it wasn't necessarily an, an opportunity anymore. It became like a hischaivas. And there's an interesting thing where you have this dichotomy between the same exact action in our minds being something that we want to do, something that we enjoy doing versus something that we absolutely have to do. That's number one. Okay? First concept is that reframe. Everything in your life is an opportunity. And by the way, because Hashem is all good, even the challenges you have in your life are also good. Even those challenges that you have are opportunities. It's not like a hischaivas at this moment. I'm here to punish you. No. Every single thing that you go through in your life is an opportunity. And if a person stops for a minute and asks himself where they see the good within any challenge that you have, within any, oper- within any achrayas that you have, 
where is the good? Like, where is Hashem sending me an opportunity? If you view it like that, you will find a tremendous amount of taiva within your life. The second idea that he shares with us is that simply by being alive, and I think this might be so hard for some people to hear, but simply by being alive it means that you need work. Okay? You're alive, you need work. And you don't just need work, you need improvement in every area of your life. Okay? Now, it might sound very harsh. I see, you're like, oh no. <laughs> if a person adopts that mantra, okay, means that if I'm here, that means that I'm not perfect. And I'm probably pretty far from perfect. See, I think a lot of people think I, I'm almost there. I'm like 99% good. Like I'm almost a malach, just 1%. I have to find that one thing in my life that I need to do, right? You're all shaking your heads, right? That's what you also, right? You think that also, right? Me too. I have that one thing I need to accomplish before I die. And once I do that, somehow that will like fit into like Hashem's big plan. And then my whole life will be worth it because I like did one thing somewhere along the way. No. We have like thousands of things that we need to do. We have thousands of things that we need to accomplish. And if you view yourself as being deficient, it's probably one of the greatest things you can do for yourself. Because if you sell yourself short and you tell yourself how great you are, except that there's this one thing when you're 99 years old, you'll say to your great-great-granddaughter how, how great she is and how amazing she is. You'll light the spark in her and give her some confidence. I'll say, wow, your whole life was worth it. Now you can come up to the Ilama MS. You're like, great, great. That sounds a little too easy. If you view your life as being, no, no, no. I have a journey that I need to go on. And these 120 years that I have here is literally, I have to work on my midos. I have to work on my chesed. I have to work on my screen time. I have to work on my, on my anger. I have to work on my jealousy. I have to work on my tefillah. I have to work on my relationships. Like if you, if you really said to yourself, every single thing that I'm doing, I need improvement in. Not in a harsh way, not in a way where you become depressed. If you become depressed, I don't take responsibility and I'm not paying for therapy. But in a way where you simply say to yourself, there's a hischaivas to growth. Living equals a hischaivas to growth. Living means I have a responsibility to my neshama to, to make sure that it is growing every day, every week, every month. If a person views that and they have a perspective of their neshama instead of an ego perspective. See, the ego tells you one of a few things. The ego either says you're good, says you're, you're, you're okay. Look at all these other people. They're, they need help. You, you're, you're great. You're fine. The ego tells you like you work so hard, so you just need a break. Chill out. Go on your phone. Don't, don't think about all these things. That's what your ego tells you. And your ego tells you that it's someone else's fault. So one of those three things is usually what your ego will tell you. It's either you're okay. Or it'll tell you, you're okay, you're working so hard. You're right, you need work, but you're doing the work. You're... Or ego says, what are you going to do? It's, it's not your fault. Now, I was talking to a, a father of a daughter, a father of a girl, um, who was going through various things. And he was telling me, like, everything that's going wrong with his daughter, and there's a whole long story. He's blaming parents, not parents, blaming whatever, the other side. He literally blaming the whole world. Okay, he was... Rabbanim, the system, like the whole world's problem. It was everybody else's fault. At one point, I said to him, I, I just have a simple question for you. Um, you're the girl's father, right? He was like, yeah. I said, so 
what role do you have in, in this whole story? But you know how it is with kids these days. You know how it is. They don't talk to their parents, right? They, you know how it is. It's not, right? I'm like absolved. I'm not, I'm not in this story. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. You can't talk to me, okay? But I could complain about why it's everyone else's fault other than my fault. One of the things I do with almost all couples that I sit with is besides sitting with them as a couple, oftentimes I sit with them individually. And I always say, when I sit with you, I don't want to hear your spouse's name. Okay? I have one meeting where I let everybody just say all the bad things that are going on so they get it out of their system. Yeah, my spouse is this. I'm like, okay, I'm taking notes. I have, I have 100 pages here while your spouse is the worst thing in the world. Great. Okay. Now I'm going to take this paper and shred it and now I never want to hear this ever again. And what we're doing now going forward is I'm going to talk to you about your role in this relationship. I've never, ever, ever sat with a couple and that's a big never, okay? Because I've sat with thousands of couples. Never sat with a couple that it was exclusively one-sided. Never. There's always, always, always a role that everybody plays in everything. And if you can't acknowledge that, then you're like the person who just, I'm good, I'm good. You're good, but where's your role? Like, do you, if anything in here that you could possibly do different? There's a Gemara that I, I was talking to somebody who, who, was, who asked me to read this Gemara like in its entirety and go through it. Maybe we'll make a separate share about this. But there's a Gemara that talks about a man, Rebelezer ben Durdai. It's a very famous Gemara. So I'll just tell it to you very bekitzer. And I think that the words at the end of this Gemara are just a hischivus for everybody. The Gemara talks about how he was an addict and he had many, 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 many issues. And the Gemara says that at one point he realized that he had a lot of problems. And he went, and there's this Gemara is maybe literal, maybe m- metaphorical. Where the Gemara says, Halach v'yasha b'in shnei harem he sat down between two mountains, which some explain means Hiram, between his parents. And he blamed them. And he said, Davin for me, help me. They weren't interested. And then he went to the next one. Shemayim Varet, right? Help me out. Weren't interested. Chamulavana, weren't interested. And if you look at the Mepharshim, they explain... He was trying to absolve himself of any blame. He went to his parents and said, It's your fault! It's your fault! You, you raised me! They said, No, we're not interested. It's not our fault. He said, Okay, it's, it's my nature, it's my tavash, my invaret. No, not interested. Okay, it's my friends, the people around me. They're not accepting any responsibility. It's, it, it's my mazel. Like, what am I supposed to do? Okay, this is how I was born, this is how I was created. We weren't interested. The Gemara says, Amar, he said, Ein hadavar taloi ela bi. Very famous Gemara. It's me. It's all tali in me. I mentioned this before. It's been many years and I still didn't get around to doing this, but I have like around six or eight phrases that I want to have hanging in my office. And just to keep things in perspective for myself, for others, one of those phrases is these words. Ein hadavar taloi ela bi. It's up to me. My emotions are mine. My relationships are mine. My tefillah is mine. If a person looks at themselves and says, A, I need work, and B, I'm responsible for that work. It's nobody else's fault, and it's nobody else's responsibility to get you to that next level in your life. Then a person has a chance of being successful. I was talking to my wife before, and she said, I think you should add, so I'll add, that you'll probably never, ever succeed. 
you'll probably never succeed. Whatever you set out to do, you will probably never get yourself to the point that it's perfection. And I think that's not a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Okay, we're adding here to the positive. If a person views themselves as being alive means that I have a responsibility to grow, so then when do I stop? The answer is you don't. You may have seen people who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s. They still have to work on their midas. They still have to work on not becoming cranky, angry, and it's much harder then. Then they're blaming everyone else. It's, it's that person's fault. You know, my grandkids don't stop harassing me. My wife doesn't stop. It's been like this forever. At a certain point, people don't have the kaychas maybe to change. But you're never, ever, ever, ever absolved of putting in the work, no matter how old you get. You don't have to ever finish. But you can't ever say, I can't do it. Because the goal is not that you get that one perfect Shemana Esrei and you have that one perfect day with your spouse and that one amazing day with your kids and that one day that you're totally calm and now like, wow, you made it and like this, there's like this beautiful rainbow and like lightning in the sky and like all of a sudden they like beam you up, Scotty. That's not what happens. You, you, you obtain something through long-term dedication to really bringing yourself to a level where the things in your life are actually real and are successful. And I think that the simple way to do this, I've mentioned this in the past, is a person has daily short obtainable goals that they want to accomplish. And you set yourself like a seven-day window. Like, what are I doing in seven days, in 30 days, in three months, in six months, and in a year? And if you keep track of anything that you're focused on, anything, it could be, it could be davening, it could be being calm, it could be anything, a person has a very good chance of obtaining success. The third idea is that our bodies are zero. They're nothing. You think about it, a body is absolutely nothing. A body has no consciousness, has no awareness. The thing that fuels us, aliphase, is our neshama, right? That means that your neshama, if you think about it, the awareness, your eyes, what you see, what you do, what you hear, all of that are sort of portals to this invisible thing that we can feel. Maybe we can't see it, but we can feel it, right? And that thing, the awareness that it has about anything is what sort of gives it its power and the relation to everything that you he hear, see, anything all relates to the neshama. So to say this a little bit more clearly is that really everything that you do in this world is somehow related to your neshama. And consciousness awareness is the level of the depth of the level to which your neshama pays attention to something. Am I making sense? Is it making, yeah, I'm not sure if the words are all stacking together tonight. Okay. So what that means is, is that if let's say, um, you know, the Gemara has a term called misasek. A misasek is somebody who's like, like busy with something and doing something else. Like on Shabbos, you get up, it's three in the morning and you go into the bathroom, you turn on the light. That's a misasek. Like your mind is not there. You just, you do something by rote, Right. If a person does something by rote, that means that your neshama was not really into it. You, you didn't like focus, like, I am now turning on the light. Somebody who does that in halacha is called amazed, did it on purpose. You consciously did it. And what he brings down is that a person should try to do everything in their life amazed. Do it consciously. The more consciously you do something, the more your neshama is alive. 
as opposed to like flitting through life in a semi-conscious or unconscious state where on the outside you look like you're alive, but on the inside you're not fully aware of what's going on around you. Okay? So step three is that a person has an awareness of whatever it is that they're doing. I find that there's a lot of people who they try to escape life. Like, it's almost like life is too unpleasant for them to have normal conversation, talking to people. So their phones have like a lot of apps, right? They're, you could literally just sit there. If your finger's going like this more than a few seconds a day, you're probably escaping life a lot, okay? If you always need, like, background noise, whether it's a podcast or, or unless it's a share, whatever. But I'm saying, like, if you're, if you're always in, like, like, music or something, like, even, like, when you're just, like, you, like you're showering or you're jogging or you're not like in it, you're just always distracted from life, then you're not living. Like you're not here. I just spoke to somebody who lives, maybe, he's like maybe the only person who I met who has maybe a busier life than I have, okay? Like this guy's like insanely, insanely, insanely busy. And he told me that he goes hiking um, once a week in the middle of the night, no matter what, rain, shine, no matter what it is, he hikes up a mountain. It's like a whole story. And he said, he goes hiking with a group of friends, okay? And he said that, the best part of this experience that he does, it's like a six-hour thing, is the fact that it's literally, he, he leaves at 1 a.m., and it's 5, 6 o'clock in the morning when he starts. He said the best part is he's having a real, honest conversation with somebody else, and they're open, and they're talking. He's like, you realize there's, there's no phones, there's no distractions. Like we're, like, we're like in it. Like we're doing something that they used to do like back in the heim. Like they used to talk to each other. You know, something that like we don't do anymore. It's like everything's so fast and we're, you're not on the treadmill anymore. Like you're able to like, like the treadmill of life, I mean. You know what I'm saying? You're not just like running every second. You're able to stop and have an awareness. And what's that awareness? The awareness is, is like I'm connecting to something. I'm connecting to somebody. That idea is an extremely important idea. A bunch of years ago, I heard a speech from somebody who's been on campus Kirov for over 30 years. And he came to speak to us when we were learning about our Berkowitz. And he said, he started off with a question. He said, how is it mutter for a person from Yid, how is it mutter for them to go on campus Kirov? How is it mutter? There's pizzas, there's parties, there's all these stuff. That was his question. That was a guy who did it for 30 years. So he said, there's different answers and there's different things. He says, I'm going to share with you my answer. He said, my answer is that I learned in Kail Chazanesh in Bnei Brak. And he said, when I left Kail Chazanesh, I made up my mind that before I ever walk onto campus, I'm going to take out a Sefer and I'm going to take a Machshava, whatever that Machshava is, but like a deep Machshava, something that like has to like really take up your mind. And I'm going to put it into my mind. So he says, I never, ever in 30 years stepped onto campus without putting something in my mind. And that was like my entirety. Like I'm sitting there going through like a sugya in my brain. Whatever that sugya is, like I'm going through that sugya. And he said, when I'm walking through this college campus and there's students and this and that, he's like, everything I was doing, my brain was, was literally like a orangutan in like a sugya. It happens to be that I happen to be there. That was what worked for him. Okay? Like his sort of like distraction from... from the things around them that maybe, you know, he didn't want to be exposed to. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, it's our Shemana Esrays, it's our, again, our relationships, our Chesed. A lot of the things that we have going on in our lives oftentimes comes along with an escape. 
We have something where we're not 100% focused in what we have going on. And the key is that a person has that awareness. And I recently saw that it says in the Pasuk that Yaakov goes to sleep and he sees that there's a ladder, right? And it's brought down in this forum that what a person focuses their neshama on during the day, the reason why Hashem created sleep is because this is now an opportunity for your neshama to continue with the journey that you went on during the day to like float around the Ilamis and find more information. Think about what that means for a minute. It means that you have a certain amount of awareness, and that's your neshama, right? So when you're right now, if I said to you, I want you to focus on do his this, think about the words Rifainu, that Hashem is, you know, he he heals everybody no matter what. And we we spent an hour on that topic. When you go to sleep, why did Hashem create sleep? If we're here to work, why do we have sleep? We have sleep so that your neshama could take that idea that you just planted in your neshama, and it says thank you. But you're living here in Lakewood. You don't have the ability to see all the svarim, to meet all the gedalim, to speak to the avas. But I do. I'm a neshama. I'm not bound by anything. Go to sleep. And when you close your eyes, your neshama now escapes from your body. And it starts running around. And it starts getting inspiration from people who were healed. And it starts meeting those people who are on death's door. And somebody said, Rafainu, And they came back. It, your neshama like, connects to these people. And it talks to these people. And it has this awareness. And it allows these ideas that you really put into your neshama, it allows those ideas to really cultivate and grow. Really beautiful idea for the concept of sleep. That's why I sleep so... No, I'm <laughs> okay? The last idea is a simple idea. It's simple, but it's maybe the most challenging. And that is that your neshama is not happy being mediocre. It's very sad when it's mediocre. Your neshama wants greatness. Most people go through their lives and they think that there's like G'daylim, there's great people, maybe because they're born in a certain mazel, or they're born to G'daylim, or they're geniuses, or whatever it is. In reality, it's mostly not true. In reality, there are people who set their sights very, very high. They came up with a plan, and that plan was implemented by them because they had a crazy work ethic. And I think that if you laid out all the necessary requirements for a person to achieve greatness. And when I say greatness, greatness could be greatness in chesed. It could be greatness in midos. It could be greatness in anything. Even greatness in finance. We spoke about greatness in, in physical. A person wants to become really, really strong. Whatever it is, anything you want to be great in, you can accomplish it. If you have the work ethic. If you're willing to literally put in the hours, a person can become great. When I was living in Eretz Yisrael, I lived in Reb Yosef Efrati's building. Rav Yosef Efrati, for those of you who don't know, he was Rav Liashev's, like, gabai. When it came to, like, people who had, like, life and death shailas, they would come, and Rav Efrati would bring in the shaila, and he would discuss it, and he would, like, be the middleman with Rav, with Rav Liashev. And he once was talking, and he said that a guy came over to him and told him, he said, you know, I know that you're very close to, to Rav Liashev, but, like, you should get to know me, because I'm the next Rav Liashev. So he said, ah, wow. What is chus, you know, like very few people, you know, say that. Um, he said, I have a question. How, how, how many hours do you plan on sleeping tonight? And the guy said, like, yeah, like, you know, like seven, eight hours. He's like, uh-huh, okay, so I'm not betting on, I'm not betting on you. <laughs> he said, it's going to be somebody else. It's going to be somebody else who sleeps like an hour, like Rivoli Asher did, or two hours maybe, like whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? He's like, it's not going to be you. If that's your work ethic, it's not happening. 
And, and I think that if a person says to themselves, I can't, or I'll try, or I'll give it a shot, you're probably not going to get very far. If a person says to themselves, like, for this week, I promise you I'm not missing a tila. For this week, like, I'm making 100% sure that, like, I'm going to be calm. For this week, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a real act of chesed every single day. It could be anything, anything, anything. You want to further your career? For this week, I'm going to study like a Meshuggah. For this week, I'm going to make sure I, I'm ready for this test. For this week, I want to make sure that like this relationship, I'm going to really put Kaychas into. If a person does that and then follows up with something else, they don't give excuses and blame other people and say, I can't and I wish I could and I wouldn't and have a million reasons why they didn't do it. But they say, Ain hadaver tali The only one who could do this for me is me. I'm going to stop telling myself why I can't. I'm going to stop telling myself why other people are responsible for my shortcomings. If a person puts themselves into that mindset, then they have a really good chance of succeeding in almost anything in their life. But if you give excuses and you have reasons why it didn't happen, nobody's interested. Nobody's interested. And your neshama just goes like, okay, great. So this is what we are. You don't realize the potential that you just lost. By having a neshama that's on fire, that could be on fire, if you, if you push yourself to go somewhere, and just to add with something from my wife, because she's very smart, okay? she said, you also have to add in the concept that when you do it, you get a certain siyat of dishmaya. I think Mara says, the mission says, right? Open up, pischein shamacha, little, little. You, you put in that effort, you feel like you're building momentum and you're able to actually achieve really great things. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.